electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, about last night, the dramatic first debate stage meeting of President Trump and former Vice President Biden has some Americans feeling dissed. Disappointing, disturbing, dispiriting, distracting, disheartening. How the evening connected with voters, with pollster Frank Luntz. You have to be a hardcore Trump person or a hardcore Biden person to believe that this debate was a success. New York City is reopening indoor dining after a six-month pause. Shake Shack founder Danny Meyer on his new biometric health protocols. Safety is the new hospitality. Plus, a conversation with CNBC anchor Shepard Smith before he debuts his new show. Anything juicy to discuss, Shep? We're launching on a challenging and I think historic day. It's Wednesday, September 30th, 2020. All right, let's go. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin and what people are calling a, uh, a hot mess uh, in a dumpster fire um, that was also involved in a train wreck. And, and uh, you know, a little bit uh, hard for probably markets to, um, to trade higher after, after that scene. Anyway, there are U.S. equity futures you know, down about was, a... It looked about, to me like it was just Twitter, right? It was I like watching like, yeah. Twitter for 90 minutes. I did not stick to my original plan, which was, you know, baseball and baseball in bed, the two B's, baseball, uh, baseball in bed. And, and I, I stayed up and I did. And I want my time back. I I, uh, I didn't stay up for that long. I didn't stay up for that long. And um, I, I felt I, you, you can play this game with me. I don't know if Andrew's, Andrew, I don't think he's ready, but you can play this game with me because I I came up with this. I felt I felt dissed. Think of how many words that start with this that can describe your feeling last night. Here's what I came up with, Becky. Disgusting. Disappointing. Disappointing. Disturbing. Dispiriting, certainly. Distracting. Disgusting. Disheartening. I don't know about, you could probably go there. Disheartening. Some good. people were disgusted. But finally, disheartening is I, I, hey, probably the right, the right level of it. Dispiriting. Like, are you kidding Dispiriting. me? Dispiriting. Dispiriting. Yeah. I, I looked up and that's exactly what I wanted to say. But then, after all those disses, I finally ended up with disinteresting, and that's when I was gone. So uh, I just right. Is that? Is that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it, it was a letdown. I will I will definitely say that there, and there were uh, opportunities some like to watch the fighting. It's hard to turn around from it, but uh, honestly, if, if you were somebody who was tuning in last night to try and figure out who you were going to vote right, for, right, if you're right. one of those undecided all you got voters, like 14 percent or something. Oh, you got right, personalities. Right. And, and my core opinion of, of both candidates, I, I did not, not maybe at the edges, there's a, I just really not, uh, nothing really changed. Mike, uh, Mike Wallace, Chris Wallace had a, a, a tough job, uh, obviously. Yeah. I don't know, I guess he did okay. I, I, 
I don't, I'm not going to nominate him. I, for, it's, why, why, do you bother, why do you bother having rules for a debate if nobody's going to follow them? Either get rid of the rules for the debate, right. change the rules to, for the debate, or give the moderator a kill switch for the microphones, or maybe all of the above. I mean, both sides, for their own base, for their own camps, had things to sell. And, and I just don't feel like either side effectively really sold the things that they had to sell, and I don't feel like I, I, You know what? It, the, the, in previous years, the first debate both sides say, wow, they go back and look at it and say, I did this wrong, I'm going to do this differently. And maybe that if there is two more, if there are two more debates, maybe I will get <laughs> yes. to that. Maybe, maybe there will be, maybe, hope springs eternal. We say maybe, that a lot, maybe. don't we, in 2020? Hope springs eternal. That was that was the yeah, hope springs that was eternal the debate for two thousand. Right? Yeah, that was the debate for 2020. That was right? yeah, that's it, kind it of debate we kind of debate we, we deserve. Right. Well, let's talk. Uh, President Trump and former Vice President Biden both came out swinging last night at the first of three debates uh, before the general elections. Joining us now with the big takeaways, Frank Lund's political strategist and pollster. Um, I don't know. They, they got me starting with Assad. I just thought it was funny that you, you, get, you had a 4-3. Are you surprised you'd get a 4-3 for the undecideds? Doesn't that like 55-45? Isn't that? I mean, it, it had to be a 4-3. Anyway, let me, Frank, we'll start out. Um, I, we have this all prepared to produce, so who am I uh, to, to mess with genius? Let's, uh, let's hear, start with Trump discussing the stock market. When the stock market goes up, that means jobs. It also means 401ks. If you got in, if you ever became president with your ideas, you want to terminate my tax, my taxes, I, I'll tell you what, you'll lose half of the companies that have poured in here will leave. And plenty half of companies, companies that are already here, they'll leave for other places. Have they will leave and you will have a I depression mean, the I likes mean, of which you've never seen. All right. You want to just take it away, Frank, and I'll play some sound bites here and there. And uh, I know you've got some things uh, prepared. Uh, overall, what do you think? Hot mess uh, in a dumpster fire uh, in a train wreck all converging. Uh, it's uh, I want to do this properly. It was described by my focus group last night as a S show it rhymes with hit. Uh, and it was like uh, Chris Wallace was the toilet paper trying to clean up the mess. I have never had my phone blow up. I've never had a session blow up where the participants were disappointed on both sides, where everyone was embarrassed and everyone was upset about what had happened. Okay, so we got two Trumps, four Bidens undecided. Raise your hands again. I'm still undecided because they really didn't answer the questions that I was looking for, but nobody really talked about, you know, how they're actually going to help the American public. I think that after tonight's performance, I've, I've decided for Biden. Tell me First why. First of all, I don't think it's important if someone can stand up to Trump or not. That's like me thinking it's relevant that I can win a, an argument with like a crackhead. Number one, they felt like they didn't get the policy they were looking for. Number two, they felt like the candidates behaved as though they didn't deserve to be president. Number three, they didn't talk about the economic issues except for that one clip. We had trouble bringing a clip to you this morning from it. It was so bad. And number four, it actually makes them less likely to vote for any candidate. <laughs> I would have said, to you, yeah, that's what happened. I would have said to you that we were going to have the biggest turnout uh, ever. What happened last night actually encouraged people not to vote. You know, and Frank, maybe the one positive is there were some good lines. I mean, it, it was, uh, I heard people say it was a clown show, 
But the, the clowns union complained. Uh, they, they think that's unfair, uh, and, and they, they're registering a complaint that, that they're being unfairly uh, tarred as <laughs> to describe this. Um, I have another uh, sound bite to, to play, Frank. Here's what uh, former Vice President Biden uh, said about President, 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 I guess President Trump, President uh, Trump's plan for health care. We even board the prompter operator. He has no plan for health care. Of course he we do. Sends, Please. He sends out wishful thinking. He has executive orders that have no power. He hasn't lowered drug costs for anybody. He's been promising a health care plan since he got elected. He has none, like almost everything else he talks about. He does not have a plan. Comments, Frank? Yeah. You know, moments before that, he told the president of the United States to, and I quote, shut up, unquote. Is that really appropriate? Is that really what we want in our replacement? Uh, it's one of the reasons why the public really looked at that and said, what is happening to our democracy? I want to be clear cut with you. Both candidates behave this way, and I know you feel that way. And, and the expectation was they were going to learn something from last night. What happened is they realized how low it can go. And I don't know what happens in debate two or debate three. One of my focus group participants came up with an interesting idea, which is to give the moderator the ability to cut the sound or completely shut it off if it gets to be that way. Because having the two candidates and the moderator talking over each other again and again and again is not appropriate for where we are right now. This is a very dangerous time. We've got more crises going on at this moment than ever before. And my undecided looked at that and said, how do you expect me to make up my mind if you're going to behave like this? Right. All right, let's, let's keep, uh, keep showing some sound here. Things got very testy very quickly between uh, the two candidates last night with President Trump constantly interrupting former Vice President Biden dishing out some insults. This may have been what you were referring to, Frank. And you're the, the worst way, you president vice... America has ever had. Hey, hey, Come Joe, on. Let me... Nobody's doing that. He's just, he's oh, the you, racist. You, you... Will you who shut is up, your... man? Listen, who... It's hard to get any word in with this clown. <laughs> there, I, I, I hear there's already t-shirts that say shut up, man. Um, from the Biden camp. So, you know, I get once again, it's, you know, it's, it's where you're, where you're sitting depends on how you view some of this stuff. And, and Joe, you know, those t-shirts are being made China or I could do Donald Trump, China, uh, that's not appropriate. And, and uh, Donald Trump was, was the aggressor yesterday and, and our respondents felt that way. And when we asked them, give me a word or phrase to describe Donald Trump is pretty negative. But it wasn't positive about Biden either. Both candidates suffered. They wanted to know how you're going to return the economy. The public wanted to know what you're going to do about jobs. Biden spoke about uh, where is uh, Trump's health care plan. Well, they wanted to know where Biden's jobs plan are. They wanted some specifics so they could have the right. excuse to vote the alternative. They got none of it from right. either candidate. All they got was insults. Well, there were, you know. There were some questions that were not followed up on by, by Chris, Chris Wallace. And, and that's, like I said, he had a tough, I mean, pack the court or not. I, I mean, it was like, oh, okay, you're not gonna answer, so move on. And then, I don't know, they, there, there were moments that I thought that, that like I said, I, there's not gonna be an Emmy for, for, the, for the buildup that we thought, let's look at the moderator, Chris Wallace. For the buildup, eh, I don't know. Um, he interrupted moderator Chris Wallace who lost control of the debate uh, despite uh, his best efforts. Here we go. You have promised to repeal and replace Obamacare, but you have never in these four years come up with a plan 
a comprehensive plan to replace Obamacare. Of course I have. Well, I'll I give got you rid of the I'm individual gonna, mandate. Finish, I'm give you Excuse an me. I got rid I, of the individual mandate, which was a big is not chunk a of Obamacare. That is absolutely a big thing. That was that, the worst I, I part of Obamacare. Chris, You're that was the worst him, part me. of Obama. Let me ask my question. Well, I'll, I'll ask Joe. I, 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 the individual no, I, mandate was the most unpopular aspect of Obamacare. I got rid of it. I'd like and you we to, will protect Mr. people President, with I'm the moderator of this debate, and I would like you to let me ask my question, and then you can answer. Frank, I could almost make the case that, that the, 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 the gotcha question should go to the incumbent, because he's got a record that, that he's got to you know, support. But I did think there, that a lot of gotcha questions were went that way. Not in, you know, to the, the challenger, maybe you cut him a little slack or something. But did, did you feel that way or not? Maybe, you know, I saw that written in place. Well, I'm eager for people to go onto YouTube and type in my name in the LA Times and they'll see for an hour, we did an hour session trying to understand what that final 6% of America's thinking in those swing states that actually make a difference. And they, they brought up that point that you just saw right there. The president should, be not, should not be debating the moderator. The president should be debating the facts. The challenger should not be so insulting. The challenger should, pre to, should present an alternative vision. And every time that Joe looked straight into the cameras, I am right now, every time he did that, he was scoring points. Every time that he got dragged into this, he was losing. And the fact is, the American people want you to look them straight in the eye. They want you to talk about economic policy. It is, after COVID, after COVID, it's the number one issue. And specifically, what are you going to do to bring these jobs back? What are you going to do to return to the incredible economy that we had as recently as March of this year? And Trump has a good point there. Right. In the end, style, style does matter as much as substance. There was even the, you, you heard the point where he said, you know, that it was almost a, um, a talking point that I see on, on Twitter that there were more jobs added in, you know, coming out of the recession right at the very beginning than Trump was able to add when he was trying to take it down from 6% to 3%. And the moderator presented that as a, as a uh, you know, as a fact and as a talking point when it, it does, any of the nuance of how that actually occurred was lost to, to, to Chris Wallace. Too. So I, I don't know. I, you know. The moderator in this, in oh, this, what did you see you know, that? There's nothing that you could have done as a moderator. You're a tough guy, and you and I have gone back and forth before. You could not have cleaned up that debate. It was impossible. Those candidates came there to fight. Those candidates came there to to deliver their really strong one-liners. Those candidates came there not to talk about economic policy, which is what viewers of this show, which is what undecided voters want. It's amazing. Your viewers and undecided uh, voters are exactly the same on this. Give us the details and focus not on the stock market, focus on jobs. And there's nothing Chris Wallace could have done. That's why, that's why I told the joke, because yeah. in the end, he really did try to clean it up. And I'll tell you, for the next debate, because we got to look forward, not just backward, in the next debate, these candidates are going to have a lot of pressure on them because the public is going to say, do not do this again. You have to be a hardcore Trump person or a hardcore Biden person to believe that this debate was a success. Yeah. All right, Frank Lentz. Uh, thank you. Like I say to everyone, just keep your phone open so that, you know, there's going to be another one of these things, so, theoretically. So we'll, we'll, we'll maybe talk either before that or after that. Victory. All right. Uh, feels like victory. Nate Palm. All right. That's from... Uh, <laughs>
apocalypse now. I think I'd love uh, that scene. Anyway, Becky. Uh, love the smell of napalm in the morning. Yep. Yeah. yeah smells yeah. like victory. Um, mm. Andrew's here too. Andrew's he here made too. It. Right, Andrew? He made it. I am here. I think. I've, yeah, I've been working. here the whole time. I've been yeah, here no, the whole it's working. time. It's like you to not have any comments. That's uh, wow. You just you're you're, you're shocked. You're shell shocked. I'm I'm in disbelief. I can't even that can't even fathom what happened. You came well, up we're going to talk a lot disc. more about all of this. You came up with another disc. That's disbelief. It. That's good. All right, let's go. Next on Squawk Pod, Danny Meyer, CEO of Union Square Hospitality Group is reopening his New York restaurants, and he's partnering with the biometric scanning company you might know from the airport. We were really excited to partner with Clear on what I think is a really cutting edge way to assure our employees primarily that it's safe to come back to work. Danny Meyer and the CEO of Clear right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross-Sorkin. Indoor dining returning to New York City today, though, with restrictions. Contessa Brewer joins us with more right now. Contessa. Andrew, good morning. More than six months since New York City restaurants were ordered to close amid the coronavirus outbreaks. And with infection above 1% for the first time in months, finally, restaurants here are able to welcome back diners indoors today. But the restaurants are limited to 25% of their occupancy. And restaurants in many neighborhoods, you know, that means four tables. Though the city has changed the rules to allow outdoor patios to continue through winter. It's changed the rules to allow propane heaters. Look, it's going to be a tough sell for customers to dine outside in pouring rain or driving snow. According to the State Department of Labor, 45% of New York City restaurant workers are still laid off. No wonder these restaurants aren't going on a hiring spree here. Business is 20, 30, 40 percent of normal, maybe. And for every dollar spent in the restaurant, the owner takes home three cents. That's according to the New York Restaurant Association. Its survey shows 64 percent of restaurants across the state think they're going belly up by the end of the year unless there's a comprehensive relief package from the government guys. Hey, Contessa, other big question, as you know, is that uh, unfortunately some of the COVID rates in New York City uh, are going up uh, over 3% for the first time yesterday in quite some time. Uh, And there's a lot of anxiety that if that turns into a seven-day average, the schools in New York City would close. What happens to the restaurants and this plan? You know, I talked to uh, an out-of-work restaurant manager whose restaurant, Bon 45, well-known near Carnegie Hall, is not reopening during um, this first period of 25% capacity. They just can't seem to make it work. And I asked him, are you concerned about going back to work and about being customer-facing when we're starting to see a change in the trajectory for infections? He said, absolutely I am, but I'm also concerned about paying the rent. And and is your sense, though, that they could shut down the indoor dining again? Is that, is that a possibility in the yeah. same way they're talking about the schools? Yeah, the mayor has said, 
has the everything ma- is on the table now. I, yeah. Yeah, he, he, he has not specifically addressed whether he will close back down indoor dining. But look, they waited beyond what the rest of the state went through in terms of infection rates to allow indoor dining. Everywhere else in New York State, once you saw infection rates down below 3%, everybody had indoor dining. New York City, that was not the case. The critical mass of people that are here concerned both the mayor and the governor. They've been clear about that. When he comes out and he says, we're going to levy fines for people who aren't wearing masks, we're prepared to enforce these rules. I think that it has restaurant owners very skeptically eyeballing, how long can we stay open with indoor dining if rates go up? Contessa Brewer, uh, we appreciate it. Uh, a lot going on in New York City. I don't know if you saw, there was a, a indoor wedding, guys, over the weekend. 300 people, uh, and the police ended up breaking up that, that indoor wedding. Uh, but these are some of the issues uh, that are confronting uh, the city and the country. As Contessa mentioned, just over six months after its dining rooms closed due to the coronavirus pandemic, New York City will be reopening for indoor dining. If positive rates for COVID-19 do not significantly increase after this, indoor dining capacity will increase from 25 to 50 percent by November 1st. And this goes for the rest of New York as well. Danny Meyer is CEO of Union Square Hospitality Group and founder of, family favorite over here, Shake Shack. In the early days of the pandemic, Meyer was forced to let go about 80% of his workforce and to close all 19 of Union Square Hospitality restaurants, including Maialino and Gramercy Tavern. We spoke with him back in March on Squawk Pod. The two things that have always mattered in this are when it is safe to come back to work and to open our restaurants as great places that people gather, we need two things. We need a workforce that is healthy, emotionally as well as physically, and we need to have businesses that are safe and, and solvent. Currently, only five of his restaurants are open for outdoor dining, four in New York and one in D.C., and three of the New York locations will open for indoor dining this weekend. This morning, Andrew Ross Sorkin spoke to Union Square Hospitality Group CEO Danny Meyer about his reopening plans, including some protocols he's cooked up with Clear CEO Karen Seedman Becker. Here's Andrew. Union Square Hospitality Group is among those ready to welcome customers indoors, and they're partnering with Clear to try to help keep their employees healthy. Joining us right now is Danny Meyer, restaurateur and CEO of Union Square Hospitality Group. And Karen Seidman Becker is with us, chairman and CEO of Clear. Danny and uh, Karen, thank you both for joining us. Uh, Danny, let's talk about this decision to open up, uh, what it means, what the costs are involved. And I, I say this against the backdrop of, as you know, a COVID cases increasing in New York City and how concerned you are about that. Well, of course, we're concerned about it, Andrew. We're also really excited. We've been serving outdoor on the sidewalk uh, for many, many weeks right now in three of our restaurants. And with those restaurants and those restaurants only, we're now going to be opening at the uh, stipulated 25 percent indoor dining. And we want to do it in the safest possible way. So we were really excited to partner with Clear on what I think is a really cutting edge way to assure our employees primarily that it's safe to come back to work. Karen, explain how it works, because I know that you're working with Danny, but you're also starting to work with other businesses on a similar program. Thanks, Andrew. So we're thrilled to be partnered with Danny. And as a New York-based company, we had a deep understanding at this moment that our technology could make experiences safer and easier. And I think uh, Danny and I are bonded in hospitality. So with the simple download of an app and a one-time enrollment, you link your identity 
to uh, your health insights, whether that be a quiz, whether that be lab results or ultimately a vaccine, and then thermal scanning at the same time upon entry. And so, but j just to be clear here, it, it, it potentially could involve testing, but at this moment, at least, Danny, for your, for your right. own employees, it's testing of temperatures and like, but it's not necessarily testing, is it? Correct. Yeah, this is so far not testing. Clear is not the agent of the testing, but what Clear does is it identifies right. that it's you. You've done that probably millions of times at the airport, uh, all, of your, all of your viewers here. And now that we know that it's you, what we're also able to do is to store information that relies upon your inputting uh, your very, very good health. And it also helps by making sure that employees know that we're vigilant about this every single day. Hey, Karen, um, I know you're working with Danny. I know you're trying to work with other companies on this as well. How widespread do you think that this business can be for you? Uh, and also, how is it affecting you, given that the airline business, as you know, uh, is as challenged as it is? So extraordinarily widespread. I think Clear was born after 9-11 when airports were shut down. Airports, while volumes are way down, have actually remained open. But after COVID, Everything else has been shut down from restaurants to universities, to theater, to sports, to entertainment, to venues, so to office buildings. So the opportunity to enroll once and use it in so many different places, bringing back the beauty of living in New York City and accessibility is really powerful. And so this is a real moment um, for identity and identity-based solutions to drive health-related insights and better experiences. Okay, Karen, um, Danny, I wish we had more time to talk about all of this. Uh, Danny, I wish you lots of luck uh, opening up uh, in the city and uh, opening up those the, the indoors. I know you're open outdoors, and I hope uh, that uh, this is all success. We're crossing our fingers for, for both of you. So Safety you. is the and new hospitality. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Coming up on Squawk Pod, the news with Shepard Smith launches tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. CNBC's newest talent weighs in on last night's events and what in the world could possibly come next. Last night's debate did not give us very many policy answers at all. It gave us a fight and we're not closer together. We're back after this. Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Becky. The news with Shepard Smith debuts tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on CNBC. 
The nightly news program will provide deep nonpartisan coverage and perspective on the day's most important stories. And joining us right now is Shepard Smith himself. Uh, Shep, thank you for being here. It's uh, great to see you. And I just want to say welcome. I haven't had the chance to welcome you in person. We are thrilled to have you here tonight and really excited about tonight's start. Becky, we're, we're, we're all excited. I, I, coming here is just, it's been an amazing experience already in bringing together some fantastic journalists to try and come together with a mission that we've been working on for years, and that is bring the facts, the truth, and the news without telling you how to think about things and without pundits. And we're launching on a challenging and I think historic day um, where the president has said that he's refused to say that he will accept the outcome of the, the election necessarily with some caveats where he told a white supremacist group to stand by uh, and get ready to stand up and where the vice president and his opponent uh, called him a clown and a liar and where there were a flood of misinformation and Becky frankly a, a debate the likes of which the United States has never seen. There has never been yeah. an event of that nature in this nation. And now we have to figure out, um, are we prepared with checks and balances to make sure that whatever the people decide, either way, that the will of the people is done, that we can be sure it's been done. So we'll lean on historians, we'll lean on, on the FBI to tell us about uh, who these groups are who have been told to stand by and get ready to stand up. And we'll try to take a look at where we are and where we're going on what I really believe is a, is a historic day for the democracy. Challenging. Yeah, Tom Friedman has a, a column in the New York Times today just saying that, you know, he grew up reporting starting out with the Civil War in, in, in Libya and watched a lot of things happen that he didn't think could happen. Um, what, what, what do you think you'll be taking on this tonight in terms of how you look back at today's events and how you put it in context? Well, I think if we were doing a 7 a.m. newscast, uh, I know what we would do. We would go through what was said last night. We would give explanations to the degree possible for the groups and people who were discussed, the issues that are before us, racial injustice, income inequality, the challenges of COVID, uh, the list is long, but we're 12 hours away. And with recent history as our guide, a lot will happen between now and then. Will Republicans come forward to stand by the president and all that he said last night? Or will Republicans and their leaders do something different? Will the president come out and, and denounce white supremacists and con confirm to the nation that he does not want them to stand by, to stand up? Or, and what will Democrats do uh, to try to combat the things that happened last night? We, we don't know what the day brings. It, we, we had a great plan, Becky. <laughs> we planned to come out. The Breonna Taylor transcripts are going to be released today. There are fires in the West on, that are historic in and of themselves, and lives are uprooted. We have COVID surging in areas of the country, including places that have been hit before, like New York City, but in the heartland across the Midwest. We have indoor dining starting in New York tonight. We have schools that are now underway. We have historic challenges in multiple buckets, 
And it is very, very difficult to wrap your head around it as an American. And it's difficult to wrap your, your hands around it as a news organization. But that is our challenge. And when people wonder, why is everything opinion? Why, is, why are people just yelling at each other about everything? It's a reflection of who yeah, we've that, become. That, I think, was the most disappointing part of last night. We, we spoke with Frank Luntz earlier, who was looking at focus groups of undecided voters. And let's say the 15, maybe more, 15 percent, maybe more of the voters in this country who went to the debate last night looking for answers, looking for policy solutions. That is certainly not what they got. The it's lack of civility and the breakdown. It's interesting that you say that because our plan, you plan for everything. You, you try to. We, could, we did not plan for what came. We plan to have Biden's take on policies toward a number of issues, COVID, governance, uh, you know, racial injustice, uh, election, election security, and then the president's take on all of those things to put them back to back with different policy and procedure information. And then we have polling that we'll be debuting tonight as well to give us an idea of how the people thought about it. But that's not what the debate became. I, Becky, I know Chris Wallace for decades. He was prepared for a debate. He was not prepared for what came last night. It, none of us were. We had that discussion earlier this morning. And it, it, Look, having lived through some of these debates in the past, if you're going to have debate rules, you either need to change the rules to accommodate what's been happening in the debates or give the moderator the ability to cut off the microphones or something. Because what we watched last night was really kind of a Twitter fest of watching the worst of Twitter uh, live being played out for 90 minutes. True. And, and that's process and that's future. And that is a very worthwhile discussion. But that it doesn't ignore, but it puts to the side where we are at this moment. We, it, it is unquestionable that both sides will say, we need to come together as a nation, because if we don't come together, we're not going to be able to solve our big problems. We can, history as our guide, if everybody can't come together and say, here's our plan of attack on COVID so our people stop dying. Here's our economic plan so that our economy can thrive. Here, here's how we're going to attack racial injustice and social unrest. Here's how we're going to attack climate change and the way that it's affecting all of us, whether we want to believe that it's coming from one place or another. All of these issues must be attacked, and we cannot attack them and cannot solve problems until we all come together. On this, there is universal agreement. So maybe there was hope that last night might be a way to come together where we could say, okay, this one wants to take us in this direction. This one wants to take us in this direction. Which direction do we like better? And that would help us put together in our minds who's best for us, given our worldview and what we want for our families and our communities and our churches. Here's who's best for me. Last night's debate did not give us very many policy answers at all. It gave us a fight and it gave us more of a fight and we're not closer together and without getting into opinion because that's not what we're going to do tonight it's not what both sides say they want and it's not where we are yeah and Shep, i will say just how that plays out in a very real level uh, in americans lives and how it's going to impact the economy we've been talking about that this morning there is the airlines question will there be a package put together for the airlines by tomorrow you're facing a huge deadline for this 
we're with anywhere from 30,000 to 100,000 employees, uh, yeah. knowing that they will be laid off, that they'll lose their jobs, if there's not some uh, plan that's put forth to, to come up with some comprehensive care. And by the way, both sides say that they agree with this. This seems to be a bipartisan issue, but even this can't make its way through Washington. It's right interesting now. you mentioned that because I've been working for the last month on an hour-long documentary, which will air on CNBC coming up. And it centers around airports and the airline industry. It's what? 5% of GDP, and there are tens of thousands of people who don't know what tomorrow. I've talked to flight attendants, pilots, ramp workers, store workers inside airports. The, the work has been exhaustive. Dozens and dozens and dozens of people in this building have been working on it. And every individual, tens of thousands, are trying to figure out different plans about how they're going to survive. But the one overarching known known is if there is not, you would call it stimulus, I call it disaster relief. If there's not disaster relief, people are not going to be able to pay their rent, they're not going to be able to buy their medicine, they're not going to be able to take care of their children if there is not a safety net. Both sides agree on this, nonpartisan, but because we're so divided, we can't come up with a way. And if we lose that sector and airlines go under. It's not about a business. It's not about a statistic. It's about a cab driver I met from Queens who came to America, who lives with his wife and his two children in the same apartment in Queens with his brother, his wife, and their two children. One of them died of COVID. The cab driver continues to work and did so through no passengers and no money in coming. And after all these months, in a neighborhood in Queens that was ravaged like few in America, his message to me after an hour-long interview was, I've come to an America where I want to seek the American dream, and I have not lost hope. I will work. I have worked. My family works. Six of us, or eight of us, live in an apartment, a two-bedroom apartment, less than 1,000 square feet. In, in Queens, and we're trying to stay safe and figure out how to pay the bills, we will get relief. America will not let us down, and we will find the American dream. He goes, we just need a little bit of help. I'm working myself to death. We just need help. Smiles from ear to ear. I'm in America. America will provide this for me, and I will serve America with every deed. Those people cannot be lost, and both sides know it. We need solutions immediately and in the long term, or both sides agree the democracy is in trouble. Yeah. Uh, Shep, I look forward to that documentary. That's yeah. that kind of hope, that sort of spirit um, that we are all grateful for. And uh, thank you for being here, Shep. It's really great to see you. Becky, it's nice to finally meet you and Joe and Andrew. You know, Joe and Andrew are kind of a microcosm, aren't they? They come from different worldviews. They, they, <laughs> You know, you, you, you fight it out. But Joe and Andrew agree America is an idea. And America, yeah. we, we, we don't, we, we lift up and we give opportunity. Right, Joe and Andrew? Yeah. There's room to agree on these matters. And if we don't come together, we see what's we, going to happen. We, we saw last night how we don't want to be. <laughs> right, Andrew? I, I think we, we, we can disagree, but, but uh, not be disagreeable. And I we, think, and we as so. people who have the honor yep. and privilege of a platform, I believe, have a responsibility to set a tone. All of us, politicians and people on CNBC and everywhere else, 
Chef, we we I, have to agree with disagree with civility. I was gonna I was gonna I was thinking I was gonna like joke around with you a little bit, but we got so serious I decided not to. We can to, joke but, too. Okay, well I was just wondering whether I mean, do you know how lucky you are that you're gonna get Xfinity now? I mean, I don't know where you live, <laughs> but um, I mean, it is. It, it, and then I was thinking I was gonna ask you, what do you? Watch now. I mean, are you watching your old colleagues? Do you watch Squawk Box and just CNBC all day long home now? Home edit. I watch home edit. Two funny women go into closets and clean them out. It gives me order and structure. I, I, I read everything. I watch it all. <laughs> I kind of avoid opinion programming because I'm not in the opinion business. I really want to bring the facts so people can decide for themselves. And that's what I've always done. It has never been more challenging. Sit down for an hour and find the facts of interest. Distill them. Give them context and perspective so that people can work with those facts from their lives. It is a challenging endeavor. And I've got dozens of people upstairs right now who woke up at 4 o'clock this morning and went, how are we going to present this? How do we distill this in a way that we are helpful? And it, it's, it's enormous. Everything in America is a level of challenging that I don't remember. And we've got to get it together. Chef, one of the things I love is that, you know, you don't come from New York or no. Los Angeles originally and that you want to make sure we understand what's happening in the rest of the country. I love that you want to focus more on the wildfires that I, I just don't think we've given enough attention. We to. haven't and we will because, you know, we, we focus, you know, here's wine country. Look at because that's what you recognize. These are families who don't have anywhere to go. If they go to shelters, they're dealing with covid. COVID is spreading. Anyone who says, oh, we're, you know, it, we, we found a good place. We haven't. The scientists are clear. This is going to be an enormous challenge in the weeks ahead. You know, the, the likelihood of shutdowns and separations again and trying to avoid giving it to your parents and grandparents. We, we don't want to kill off all our elderly. We, we, we have to do the right thing to keep from doing that. We're nowhere near herd immunity. The latest from the scientists is 90 percent of everyone in the country 90 percent. That's almost 300 million people are still susceptible to this disease. The number of challenges before us at this moment is unprecedented in at least all of our lifetimes. And the very first thing we have to do is come together, the left and the right, the small communities, the big cities, the West Coast, the East Coast, the Southern, the Southern tier and up on the Canadian border. We all have to come together and say, we need solutions and we need to start agreeing or we're going to look back. History is going to reflect horribly on all of us. And just remembering in these difficult times that everybody has things that they are dealing with at home that you don't know about. So nope. we could at least be civil to each other, at least be kind. Andrew, did someone muzzle you? Uh, I, you know, they're, they're always muzzling me. So, uh, but we're always, as you know, trying to, trying to do the facts. And uh, you, 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 I, I care about the facts that you're going to present tonight, and I'm excited to, uh, to watch the broadcast. Wait, Thank wait, you. this is you muzzled? The, the last <laughs> few months, that's you muzzled? Is that? Oh, man. As you know, I I only, I, I, like Shep, I only do the facts, too. So um, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, 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 we'll watch Shep this whoa. evening. Wow. We'll get um, there. I, I, in the eye of the beholder, I guess, isn't it? We'll try our best. Yeah. Right. Good luck, America. We love you. The News with Shepard Smith premieres today on CNBC. 
we'll be sharing the podcast of that program right here on our feed, so stay tuned. If you're a Squawk Pod subscriber, bonus podcasts from Shep and his team will auto-populate right here on your favorite podcast app. Our gift to you. Speaking of gifts, today, September 30th, is International Podcast Day. And what a treat this audio medium is. How can you celebrate? You can share your favorite listens on social media with the hashtag International Podcast Day. You can also share us with a friend or offer a rating or review to Squawk Pod or really any other podcast on Apple Podcasts. As always, tweet us your thoughts, feedback, and suggestions at Squawk CNBC. What's your favorite Squawk Pod episode? When and where do you listen? We want to know. Joe, Becky, and Andrew, and Squawk Pod, we'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.